You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Good morning. It's so good to be here. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Tom Ho. I've been the pastor at a Leyland Community Church for the last 10 years, and I'm now part of College Creek Church. Woohoo! Yeah, can I get an amen? It's been a while since I've been up here, but um, Isaac's asked me to preach in his absence, and so I am always privileged and honored to do that. Uh, and a message I have for you today. Um, I've got a story to share. One Sunday morning, uh, I heard this story. Uh, there was a, a dad and his seven-year-old kid who had just gotten home from church, and they're settling in, and the mom's enjoying some much-needed me time away from the house, so the dad's with the seven-year-old, and the seven-year-old just repeatedly is saying, Daddy, play with me, play with me, and let's play hide-and-seek, and let's play Candyland, and, let's... and all the dad wanted to do was take a nap and watch some football, perhaps the Redskins losing another game, but now maybe he said that, maybe he didn't, I don't know. But, uh, and uh, he looks down at the coffee table and he sees the newspaper spread open and there's this two-page picture of the world. And he has this epiphany, he's going, aha, I'm going to tear this piece of paper up into a bunch of pieces. And he says, son... I've got some tape here for you. I want you to put this world back together again. Figuring this is going to give him lots of time. Well, about 15 minutes later, son comes back and says, Daddy, Daddy, I'm finished. And he's like, how in the world have you done this? He said, well, on the other side of the paper was a picture of a person. And when I put the person back together the whole world seemed to look okay. How many of you can kind of relate to that principle that as we're put back together, the whole world seems to look a little different to us, to look okay? I mean, it's been my experience that when uh, God, through his spirit, begins to restore us and to put us back together again, things change. Our perceptions change. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Amen. Amen. When you know things can seem quite hopeless, there's a lot of anxiety, there's stress, there's times of sorrow and grief, and times when the whole world can just seem like it's fallen apart. But then something will happen, some sort of blessing comes to you something that will ease your troubled mind, and then bit by bit and piece by piece, we begin to feel whole again, and the world becomes less chaotic, and our outlook seems to change. I'm sure there are many of us here this morning, myself included, who can share story after story of the ways that God has blessed you. Story after stories of the way that we're being transformed from glory to glory 
and testimony of the ways in which God has brought us out of the pits of desperation and destruction and gives us new life and a hope and a future. Amen? Where the world seems to look okay again. Have you ever wondered why it is that God would do this for you? Why would he do it for you? Why would God bless me? Like, why would God choose to save me despite the many times that you and I might have doubted him and chosen to ignore him or the many idols that we put before him, the times that we've moved out in front of his plan, choosing our own plans, and perhaps denied or questioned even if he's real? Is he who he says he is? Well, the obvious answer is he blesses it because he loves us. God is love. He's a God who keeps his covenant. He's a God who loves us unconditionally with an everlasting love. An obvious answer might also be that his desire is that none would perish that all would come to salvation. Perhaps an obvious answer would be that Jesus said he'd always be with us. He would never forsake us. And that he would leave us a suitable helper, as we sang about this morning, the Holy Spirit, who would always be with us and continue to mold and to shape us into the image of Christ. And all of these answers are right, and they're true. But this morning, I want us to see another answer to this question. And it may be one that's kind of surprising to you. This answer is laid out very clearly in Ezekiel chapter 13 or 36, and this is our passage for this morning. It's found in the very words that God is going to instruct to Ezekiel to share with his people. And so let's read the passage this morning. It's Ezekiel 36, chapter, uh, chapters 36, verses 22 through 36. Uh, you can find it here up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we have them laying out here. Please take one. That's our gift to you. It's the Word of God. We live and breathe on the Word of God here at College Creek Church. And so that's our gift to you. So let's read this morning's scripture, Ezekiel 36, 22 through 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, 
and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe them yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and the desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Amen to that. Amen to that word. This is the word of God. Now, Pastor Isaac preached last week on Ezekiel 34, a great sermon on what the shepherds were lacking to do in the house of Israel. And we're going to jump ahead now to Ezekiel 36, the second half of that. So I'm going to catch you up just a little bit on what was going on. And if I were to sum up chapters 35 and 36, I would do it this way. I would say that it's basically going from abandonment to abundance abandonment to abundance. It's almost as if it's a new covenant that God is making with his people. It, it's, it's a renewed covenant, one in which the people of God will know not only that he, Yahweh, is God, but that he is with them. And the people of God, they were exiles from their land, held in Babylonian captivity. Their land had been destroyed, and along with their loss of land and property came the loss of their dignity, the loss of their identity. And, and not only was their enemy the Babylonians, but it was the Edomites, and it's a country south and east of Judah, inhabited by the descendants of Esau. And in chapter 35, we read that they are referred to as Mount Seir. And so that's why you read in the beginning of chapter 35 and 36, Ezekiel's instructed to actually to prophesy to the mountains, to Mount Seir and to the mountains of Israel. Mount Seir being the Edomites, Mount, the mountains of Israel being God's chosen people. And so God instructs Ezekiel to say to Mount Seir these very words of God, behold, I'm against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste. That's Ezekiel 35.3. And then at the beginning of chapter 36, Ezekiel 36, 8 through 10, you can read along in your Bibles, God says to the mountains of Israel, but you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit 
to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel. Amen. What a promise. Do you hear that beautiful covenantal promise of God, which are echoing his original promise to Abraham? God has not forgotten his people. He's going to bless them. A people with a place to call home, who had been without a home, been without an identity. They're given this incredible promise through the prophet Ezekiel a land and a people that had been torn to shreds is now being put back together again, restored. And oh, what sweet words they must have been for the people of God. What a blessing. But why? Why? Well, we get the answer in the first verse of our passage. So let me read it again. Ezekiel 36, 22 Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come. As I was reading through this, I was reminded of my, when I first came to faith, and I came to faith late in life at the age of 46 years old. So it's never too late. 46 years old, I had an encounter with Christ. My life was forever changed. My world was torn to shreds, torn to pieces. He has continually rebuilt me and remolded me. And as you, he's still reshaping me. And one of the first books I read as a Christian was Purpose Driven Life. Great book. And I opened the first page, not even the beginning of the book, and the words that were there hit me like a ton of bricks. It said, it's not about you. It's not about you. None of this is about me. God had restored my life. He had given me another chance, and he began to change my heart, and he took my life, but it was not about me. And I began to understand that and what freedom it actually was because it was no longer about me. It was no longer about me needing to compare myself to others. It was no longer about me trying to work my way into glory. No longer about me trying to gain others' approval. It was no longer about me trying to fight my demons and my battles on my own. It was no longer about me. It's not about you and it's not about me. And here's the main point of this morning's message. And if you get nothing else from this, get this. God will get the glory in everything. God will get the glory in everything. 
In our passage for this morning, Ezekiel talks about the new life that God is giving his people. And we read of this new heart and this new spirit that God wants to give to his people and what he wants to give to each of us today. And for those of us that have heard the good news of the gospel, we know that the words have come true in Jesus Christ. This is truly good news. But as I spent time preparing for this message and thinking of all the amazing things in which, in ways in which God saves us and he blesses us, I began to realize something. All of this is part of a much bigger story and a larger work that God is doing. In fact, I might go so far as to say that it's perhaps his number one priority for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do in the entire world. At the heart of this passage, Ezekiel is talking about the new life that God has promised, and as we know, it is found in Jesus. And how many of you know that when you trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, he will give you a new heart? And Scripture tells us that when we trust in Jesus, God will put his Spirit in us, his Spirit, not just any Spirit, his Spirit in us, And Scripture tells us that I will give you a new heart, he says, and a new spirit I will put within you. It's verse 26 of today's passage. But before God would have Ezekiel say any of that, God has a word for his people, and what he basically says is this. Listen, all of the ways that I'm going to bless you and restore you, I want to make this clear to you. And it's something that I believe he wants to make clear to us this morning. None of this is for your sake. Ezekiel 36, 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. Listen up, God is saying at the end of the day, it's not about me and it's not about you It is about him getting the glory, that he would get the glory in everything. On a very basic level, God's saying to his people, it's not you, it's me. Now, as I said that, I thought about all the times I was growing up in my teenage years when I would hear that from a girl. (laughs) Not you, it's me. And I knew what was happening next, (laughs) right? It's not you, it's me. But when God is saying this to his people, it's not to end the relationship. It's actually to deepen our relationship with him. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my faith journey that when I've questioned what God does and the things he does and the way he's allowed certain things to happen or not happen and why it seems that God didn't answer my prayers in this way or why God hasn't healed a particular ailment in me or one of my family members. And I think that when we get into this space of questioning God, perhaps it's that we're failing to remember what God's primary agenda is. And so what God would say to each of us this morning, what he's saying to me and to you is it's not about you, it's all about me. It's not about your agenda, it's all about my agenda. God gets the glory in everything, and in this passage, Ezekiel is making that abundantly clear to us. 
Everything that God does is for his glory. Everything that he's doing in life right now is for his glory. Perhaps God's delivered you from something. Maybe it's a victory that you're celebrating. Maybe you're even feeling like God has been been blessing your socks off lately. Understand this. It's, It's for God's glory that that's happening. And the flip side of the coin is maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you find yourself at a really low point in your life right now. And perhaps asking God why. The same is true. Everything that God does in our lives is so that he can get the glory. There have been times in my life when I've just shook my fist at God saying, why God, why? And I firmly believe that once I came to peace with the fact that it's not about me and everything is about his glory, this is when I began to live a life that's filled with joy and can be filled with peace. It's when I began to understand and get my life in sync with what God was doing is when I became blessed. And because I realized at the end of the day, it was not about me, but it was all about God and his glory. And so let's look at how this works in this passage. I'm going to break it down for you. Three ways in which God is going to get his glory in this passage. The first way, number one, God desires glory in his name. We sang about it this morning. It's highlighted in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And then again in verse 23, God says, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Now here's a question to consider. Why is the name of God so important? It's a fair question. Well, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, a person's name back then especially meant even much more significant. It had more significance then than it even does today, as much as it has now. I mean, names are important now. That's how we're identified. It's our identity. It's how people know us. We even have nicknames. But during the the times of the Old and New Testament, it was especially important. Your name was your personality, And even more importantly, your name was your integrity. It was your character. And in the Bible, we read numerous occasions where God or Jesus would change the name of a particular person, right? There was great significance in having a good name. And so God is going to elevate this idea when he says, my name will be holy. It will be kept sacred, His character, his integrity will be held up to the greatest heights. It will not be defiled. And think about how it is today. People say so many different things about God today. It's true. It was true then, it's true now. We blame God for all sorts of things. We assume that we know what God is doing and why he's doing it. We think we know why God hasn't done such and such for this person and that person. Oh, I know why he's not blessing them. No, you don't. (laughs) We think we know what God's up to. But when we say things about God that are not true, true of his character, we're profaning his very character. His name's being polluted. It's being drugged through the mud. 
Look, we all know that it's bad to use God's name in vain, right? We know that. And I love when people come up and they cuss in front of me, a pastor, and they're like, oh, sorry, pastor. Like, you don't have to worry about me, dude. You're, drag- you're dragging his name through the mud. And as bad as that is, when, when we say that God is nowhere to be found or when we say that God is bitter or unloving or he's unable to forgive me for this thing that I've done or this little sin that I'm doing maybe is okay, but what that other person's doing, God's not going to forgive that, but maybe he'll forgive my little one. When we say things like that, in essence, we are dragging his name, the very nature and the character of God through the mud. They are not consistent with his character, with who he is and who that he says he is. And all that we need to know about the name of God and character of God is found right in the Bible, right? And I could go from Scripture to Scripture and tell you where to go and, and say, but I want to give you one. And he's going to basically say, let me tell you what my name is and let me tell you exactly who I am. I'm going to tell you about my character and my reputation and my integrity. So if anyone ever comes up to you and they're like, who is this God that you're serving? Use this scripture. It's found in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. It begins by saying, the Lord. There it is. The Lord, Yahweh. That's his name. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, and he's speaking to, and he's with Moses here. He proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is perfectly who God is. He's full of mercy. He's full of forgiveness, but he is also a God who will not allow sin to be ignored. This is a God who demands accountability and he demands atonement for sin. And so praise God for Jesus. This is the gospel, the good news. Jesus is our atonement. It is Jesus who has satisfied God's perfect expectation. Can I get an amen from somebody right now? Somebody that's a believer out there. This is really good news. This is who God is. This is his name and his character. And this is why the gospel is everything. Because in the gospel, we have a perfect summary of his character. The gospel tells us that God loves us deeply. And this is an assurance. But the gospel also tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that none are perfect. But God sent his only son who knew no sin to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve. Jesus paid the price on our behalf, conquered sin and death itself, rose from the grave, and at this very moment is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. This is the character of God. This is the name of God. This is why we sing of it. 
There is no name above his name. And God gets the glory when his name is proclaimed and when it's kept holy. And yes, God will vindicate his holy name. It says that. Now, not only does God get act for his name to get glory, but this passage tells us a second thing. God acts for his people to get the glory. And this is at the very heart of the passage. I could have spent a whole nother sermon talking about this. I'm not going to. I don't think. And this is a, in the middle of the passage, Ezekiel prophesies that all of the things that God's going to do for his people, and they're wonderful things. God says that he's going to take his people and gather them together and bring them back into their own land, verse 24. And he goes on to say in verse 26 that God will give them, that he's going to give us a new heart, right? And a new spirit, removing the old heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. He will put his own spirit within them, causing us, causing them to walk in his ways in obedience to his laws. And let me tell you, because God says he put his own spirit, only God can do that. Nobody else can. That's why he gets the glory. It's only God that can put his spirit into us. And he goes on to say he will remove the famines in the land. There'll be an abundance of life. And how many of you have experienced a more abundant life because you now follow Jesus? Amen. In verse 35, he says, the land that was once desolate will become like the Garden of Eden. Eden. And in verse 33, he goes on to say that he will cleanse them from all their sins. Can I get an amen to the fact that Jesus has washed away our sins? What wondrous promises from God. All these things pointing to Jesus, the name above all names, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. God will get the glory. Now, as beautiful as all these promises are, and I know that many of us here this morning can say that we've experienced these blessings. Experienced the love of God, experienced his grace and mercy, and experienced his forgiveness, and being brought from that place that was desolate and torn apart and made whole again. As wonderful as all of this is on an individual basis, thinking about what God has done for you, we should be careful that we don't stop there. Don't stop there. Because more than God saving me or saving you, God says, I want a people for myself. I want a people for myself. I want a community for myself. I want a family for myself. I want a kingdom for myself. God says in Ezekiel 36, 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be what? My people and I will be your God. A people joined together, linking arms, demonstrating unity as an expression of his character, as an expression of who he is. God says, I want a people for myself, for my glory. Just look around the room this morning, y'all. I mean, look at what God is doing right here at College Creek Church. I mean... 
Only God can do this. Like, where else would we go and, like, be hanging out and loving each other? I mean, look around. Different backgrounds, different, you know, ethnicities, different uh, educational backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, all together here right now, loving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. Only God can do that. And so God gets his glory through his people. Just like the people that Ezekiel is prophesying to in the passage this morning, we have been separated from God, from one another because of our sin. But what does God say in verses 24 and 25? He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. God specifies the sin of their idolatry there, of their putting other things before God himself. And God, through his son, has brought us back into right relationship with him and with one another. God says, I'm going to cleanse you from all your idols so that you come together as a people and you praise me. God gets the glory through his people. I mean, do you realize that together... In all of our one anothering that's going on, we are an expression of the glory of God. Do you see what this is all about? It's more than what God is doing in my life or what he's doing in your life. It is God bringing his people together in unity until one day, as it's spelled out in the book of Revelation, God's people will be joined around the throne from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all singing praise to the glory of God. God gets the glory in his name. He gets the glory with his people. And lastly, hear this, and I'll be quick. promise. God gets the glory <clears throat> in the world. God's basically saying that all these things that I'm doing in your life, it's not for your sake. It's for my sake. And all along the way, get this, the world has been watching you. The world is watching. You know this? The moment you profess your faith in Jesus, become a follower of Jesus, the world's watching you. Your family your friends, people, your coworkers, people are watching. People that don't know Jesus yet, they're watching what's been happening to you. And as God begins to do a work in you, begins to restore you and transforms your life from the inside out, gets what's going to happen. People will see, they will notice, and the world will know who our God is. Amen. Ezekiel talks about it in verse 22 where he says, you have profaned my name among the nations to which you came. And in verse 23, he says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. And then he says, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. There it is. Before their eyes. The nations will know that he is Lord. God will use what he is doing in your life for a witness to a watching world. God say, when I show you grace and forgive all your sins, the world will be witness to it. 
And then the very last verse of our passage this morning, verse 36, we read this. And it's beautiful. I've rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Yahweh. That's my name. I have spoken and I will do it. So whenever we drift back into thinking about what it is that I need or you need or this church needs, God says, listen, wait a minute. I have a heart for the world. God says, my heart is big enough. I have a heart for everyone to hear the gospel. I have a heart to forgive everyone's sins. I have a heart that everyone would be saved. I have a heart for everyone individually and for the nations. And he is glorified when the world sees what he has done for his people and what he has done for his name. And it's wonderful when I think about all the ways the Lord's best blessed me personally, right? But if I stop there, I'm missing it. Because it's not about me, it's all about him. And he gets the glory in everything. It is God's work, and it is God who gets the glory. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. It's like what Paul says in Philippians uh, 1.6. And I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I think it's fitting for this morning that we would end before we take communion with a prayer. Except this prayer, I want to have us all say together. And you don't have to look at the screen because you probably know it. Because it's the prayer that Jesus modeled out for us in Matthew chapter 6. And you will hear of God's glory and his name and the people. And so let's pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread as, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.